Welcome back to The Built Environment, a podcast and growing media hub online about violence against people and land in Canada. My name is Brenna, and I am one of your co-hosts, or I am the host for today. Uh, We don't have Marsha with us today, but we are planning future episodes uh, shortly where we'll be finally back producing together. And we're really grateful for your patience our dear listeners, as we kind of sorted a few other things out, started new jobs and uh, kind of applying for school and things like that. So we do do this podcast um, in our limited free time, but we love it and we're happy to be back producing now. Today's episode is going to focus on the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or the TPP. But before we start that, I just do want to acknowledge the Indigenous territory that we're producing this episode on, and I pulled this land acknowledgement from OISE. So Toronto has been a site of human activity for 15,000 years. This land is the territory of the Huron-Wendat and Petun First Nations, the Seneca, and most recently the Mississaugas of the Credit River. The territory was the subject of the Dish with One Spoon Wampum Belt Covenant, an agreement between the Iroquois Confederacy and Confederacy of the Ojibwe and Allied Nations to peaceably share and care for the resources around the Great Lakes. Today, the meeting place of Toronto is still home to many Indigenous people from across Turtle Island, and as a settler, I am very grateful to have the opportunity to work on this territory. So you may have heard of the TPP. It's been in the news a little bit. It is the world's largest trade and investment agreement covering 12 Pacific Rim countries. Australia, Brunei, Canada, Chile, Malaysia, Mexico, New Zealand, Peru, Singapore, Vietnam, Japan, and the United States. We're going to talk today with Brittany Smith and Fatine Chowdhury, who are campaigners against TPP and CETA at LEADNOW. And you may remember LEADNOW from the Vote Together campaign in the 2015 federal election. A little bit about the TPP before we start. Former Prime Minister Stephen Harper negotiated the TPP behind closed doors during his last years in power. He was dishonest with the public about what the deal actually meant. Human rights advocates and experts, environmental scientists, indigenous leaders and communities across Turtle Island, and renowned economists have denounced this deal. Nobel laureate economist Joseph Stiglitz said, the TPP is not about free trade. This is about changing the rules of the game for the market economy in ways that disadvantage ordinary people and advantage a few large corporations. The reason I became concerned about the TPP just earlier this year is because I care about climate justice. As I read into the deal, I learned more about investor state dispute settlement mechanisms, or ISDS, and I worried that the TPP would undermine the Canadian government's ability to make policies that protect the environment, including taking action on climate change and rejecting new fossil fuel infrastructure. Of course, our current government looks poised to approve the Kinder Morgan pipeline in the next two weeks, and we still subsidize fossil fuels by $3.3 billion, according to a new report by Environmental Defense, Oil Change International, Equiterre, and Climate Action Network Canada. Consultations with Indigenous communities are not genuine, and they're being used to simply rubber stamp projects like Kinder Morgan and Pacific Northwest LNG. If the TPP is implemented, we are eroding our own ability to make laws for the benefit of people in Canada, and that allow us to take the urgent climate action we need. 
Moreover, I learned that the TPP would export carbon-intensive manufacturing jobs to countries in the global south who are already experiencing the most significant impacts of climate change. So Western countries within the TPP would appear to reduce our own emissions and meeting our supposed climate targets, while increasing the inequitable, unjust distribution of climate impacts worldwide. That's just why I became concerned about the agreement, but its impacts are as far-ranging as you can imagine, including healthcare and increasing costs of prescription medication, undermining our democratic institutions, such as they are, and internet freedom and privacy. For instance, the TPP's excessive copyright rules will mean less content online for us to view, use, customize, and share. And this is coming from LeadNow's website, rejecttpp.ca. The TPP would also increase liability for breaking digital locks, or doing the wrong thing with your ebook or iTunes song could make you liable to criminal law. It also makes your private information accessible in countries with weak oversight or privacy protections, like the U.S. with its broad surveillance powers under the Patriot Act. And finally, the TPP would give internet service providers more powers to monitor and report your online activity. So this is a sweeping agreement which, as Joseph Stiglitz said, doesn't really have a whole lot to do with trade so much as it is a corporate power grab. You may be wondering, though, why make an episode about an agreement that you may have heard U.S. President-elect Trump has promised to withdraw the U.S. from right away in January, effectively killing the deal. We'll hear Brittany and Fatine's thoughts, but right off the top, it's important to note that the federal government is currently trying to fast-track the TPP's sister deal through Parliament as we speak. It's called CETA, a trade deal between Canada and the EU, and it's been touted by government as a progressive trade agreement for a strong middle class. In reality, though, like the TPP, CETA would further privatize and deregulate the Canadian economy while increasing corporate power and undermining our abilities to address climate change. I encourage you to check out great resources that already exist around the agreement. But importantly, according to the Council of Canadians, the announcement of the completion of CETA was also the first time people in Canada and Europe were allowed to see the official text of the agreement. The deal was signed without any public consultation. We are now being told that no changes are possible. I'm really excited about this episode because our guests Fatine and Brittany do such a beautiful job making linkages between these ideological trade, free trade deals, corporate power, democracy, and solidarity with communities on the front lines of the climate fight and state violence. Towards the end of the interview, we talk about the importance of connecting these dots in order to build inclusive intersectional movements. And we'll hear now from Fatine and Brittany. We are here today with Brittany Smith and Fatine Chowdhury from Lead Now. Brittany is the lead campaigner for Lead Now on the trade file. So big components of that right now are the TPP and CETA, C-E-T-A that is. Uh, and Fatine is uh, a TPP organizer and Lead Now is going to be hosting a public TPP tea party on Saturday, this Saturday, at 2 p.m. around Spadina and Bloor outside Minister for International Trade, Christia Freeland's office. And we've seen the TPP a lot in the news, but I think the general consensus is Canadians and people living in Canada are totally confused because it's such an inaccessible 
agreement, proposed agreement. So I think I'd like to talk a little bit today about that level of inaccessibility, as well as the current landscape of trade around the TPP, around CETA, uh, in the wake of the election of Donald Trump, but as well as all of the organizing that went into the TPP being uh, waylaid for so long, uh, and then maybe get into the road ahead with CETA. Sounds good. So um, maybe we'll start off with that kind of that excess inaccessibility and what you think that's meant as a as a campaigners around the TPP. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership is or was the world's largest trade and investment agreement between 12 countries in the Pacific Rim. Um, and it's really been sold to the public as this free trade deal, as all trade deals are being sold to the public, as this like really benevolent, um, you know, agreement that will create jobs and open up export markets and like, um, you know, do all this this great stuff that we're always told um, will happen with with trade and these trade deals. But really, um, independent studies have shown that the economic benefit is actually quite small, and also that the deal is so much more than just like your grandfather's trade deal about this like movement of goods and services. Um, this is a deal um, that represents a lot of what modern free trade agreements are. Is really uh, we like to say a giant corporate power grab because really what it is 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 a complex deal that will change sort of the legal frameworks of countries that will change our regulatory and standard frameworks that you know have who's you know the trade provisions have to do with so much more than just trade it'll impact health it'll impact copyright education um, human rights indigenous rights workers rights um, it's really just so much more than that um, than just sort of a free trade deal. Um, and it's really hard to, to talk about that complexity because, you know, it's still being sold to the public as this free trade deal. And, you know, this is a Harper negotiated agreement that he negotiated in secret, keeping the public in the dark for five years during the negotiations while corporate lobbyists were invited to the table to help craft the deal. And then he was dishonest with the public about what the deal actually meant and what was inside this deal because he knew... Like, I think the government knows now that people would find it really unacceptable. Um, so you have, you found that people are receptive once they learn what this deal entails. Yes, we ran a national public opinion poll back in February on the eve of the signing ceremony um, when all the TPP um, countries were poised to sign the deal, which they ended up doing back in February. Um, and we found that the majority of Canadians um, are very unfamiliar, actually, with what's in the deal. Um, another interesting finding related to that is that the more they learned about its projected impacts on our democracy, on healthcare, on food safety, um, that, yeah, the more they learned about these impacts, the more um, they would, would likely oppose the agreement. So we do see this this um, this link between people's lack of knowledge and their like passive support because they're being fed this language and this narrative of it being free trade, and it's a really hard narrative to shift because um, it's very entrenched, um, you know, in our societies that free trade is a good thing, and that's really what we've been trying to do in the campaign is obviously stop this thing because we know. It has really far-reaching um, and deep, profound impacts on a variety of sectors, um, but mainly because of what it really speaks to um, is that you know 
we or what we want to do is is do more of that narrative shifting work and really use TPP as an entry point to talk about growing corporate power um, and corporate interests being served in these structured agreements um, that really have nothing to do with trade. They're really about changing the rules of the global market economy in ways that benefit corporations um, and that do very little for the public good and public interest. So it's it's really about more than just the TPP. We've also got CETA, but it's even just, it's, it's more ideological than mm-hmm. just any one or any two trade agreement. Yeah, and I think like the focus for our campaign is really like we're pushing the fact that it's about people power, not corporate power. So to really shift the power dynamic away from corporations um, and the fact that this deal was negotiated behind closed doors without any active public participation or even access to the text um, is, is, is very concerning, um, to say the least. Um, and I can say, you know, from like doing organizing this past month with our volunteers, it's been really um, eye-opening to see how little the public actually knows about the TPP on the ground, like on the streets when we're doing canvassing and we're talking to people, we're getting them to sign petitions. Um, and it is something that really concerns them. Like as soon as they hear about the TPP, as soon as you bring up the fact that corporations are able to sue governments um, in private tribunals as a result of the investor state dispute settlement mechanism, which is ISDS, which is like a big part of why this trade deal is dangerous. Um, As soon as people understand how um, it's built to protect corporations and not people, um, they, they react in our favor. And I think that a lot of the media that's out there is actively trying to present this as an opportunity for economic growth. Um, and only, I think, if you go into like international media or if you go into like media in Latin America or in the global south, you start to see a change in tone about how they're talking about the TPP. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that as Canadians, as people in Canada, we need to really ask ourselves um, if this is a deal that we want to align ourselves with um, uh, and, if, and if, it's, if that's a responsible thing for us to do. Um, yeah, just on the media thing, that it's also been one of the main challenges with this campaign is that there has been a relative media blackout on really on really being real um, and digging deep into the impacts of this deal and 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 being that source of 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 truth telling um, to Canadians and people in Canada who need to know about about these impacts because it's true. It's a six thousand page deal. Um, highly complex legal, dense legal text. The average person is not going to, I mean, even if they had it on their dinner table, it's inaccessible because it's so dense and verbose and in legal language. Um, so the, the fact that, you know, the media, there's been a lack of reporting from them. Um, and then the government consultations, um, while we welcome the idea of consulting the public, um, there has been um, definite problems with accessibility to those consultations and also just the lack of impact assessment reports that we've been seeing from the government. They have refused, um, or not refused, but they have yet to uh, publish any reports on the environmental impact assessment, on first, like assessments and impacts on First Nations rights, on labor, on workers' rights, on healthcare, on increasing patent protections for big pharma and how that will jack up the price of medicine, making it inaccessible to those who need it most. Like There's just so... There's so many layers of this deal, um, and really we've seen a, a, a misinformed and an uninformed public, which has been, I mean, part of our role um, 
is, to, is has been to raise awareness because again we see once people uh, understand the deal a little bit more and learn more about what it's about then they're more likely to oppose it and then that's where we can get them to actually mobilize against it so this has been some context for the trans-pacific partnership but unfortunately in so many ways but for the TPP, Donald Trump winning the presidential election in the States has kind of muddied the water a little bit about the fate of the agreement. And Fatine was just saying that Christia Freeland, Minister Freeland today, said, you know, if the U.S. pulls out of the agreement as Trump has promised to do in his first hundred days as president, then the TPP will not happen. So can you talk a little bit about that landscape right now? Yeah, sure. Um Yes, it is true um, that Donald Trump, um, he campaigned on a platform to withdraw the U.S. from the TPP, and he just came out uh, a day or two ago reaffirming that promise, saying he was going to pull the U.S. out of the deal on his first day as president. Um, and, it, and it is also true that if it dies in the U.S., the deal falls apart everywhere um, because of the enforcement um, thresholds that without the U.S., the deal's dead. Um, because the U.S. makes up such a large portion of the agreement? Yeah, so the, the threshold is that it has to be ratified by six countries that make up 85% of the GDP among the 12 countries. The U.S. is res- is responsible for about 40% of the GDP, so if they don't sign, there's no way that the other countries can meet that 85% GDP threshold. Yeah, and I mean, just today, um, like on Tuesday, November 23rd, uh, Christian Freeland has um, like told reporters after a cabinet meeting that what that means in practice is that the TPP agreement, as it is currently structured and finalized, can only come into force if it is ratified by the U.S. So if Trump goes ahead, um, once he's inaugurated, to, to, to reject the TPP, then um, effectively Canada is also not going to be moving ahead. Yeah. But two other important things really to remember is that, one, um, although <clears throat> Trump is now sort of the figurehead of the anti-free trade, anti-TPP movement, um, he did not defeat the TPP, he did not kill the TPP, he has exploited public anger um, for crass political gain around the TPP. Um, and his brand of politics is very much the opposite of what the progressive grassroots civil society cross-sector inclusive movements who have been fighting this deal for eight years in the United States and around the world. Um, the opposite kind of politics um, that, that, that the, the folks on the ground really have. So I think, yeah, it's important to remember that um, people power is what turned the tide on the TPP. In the U.S. specifically, you had all presidential candidates, Clinton, Sanders, Trump, opposed, and that really speaks to the power of these people power grassroots movement who was, were able to do that narrative shifting work. Um, and they succeeded at that. And I think the other thing to remember is that Trump, yes, promised to kill the TPP, but he's an unpredictable beast. Um, we cannot be, we have to stay vigilant. We can't put sort of all of our eggs in his basket. We don't want his basket anyway, but we also don't want to rely on his promises. We've seen him already go back on a lot of promises. His transition team is stacked with the corporate lobbyists that helped to craft this deal. Um, there is a chance he could go back on his promise. There's a chance he could renegotiate to get something for the better for the United States. Um, and there's a chance he could keep his promise. But the lesson really to take away is that really it was people power that did this work, that defeated the TPP, and also people power were able to stop a giant corporate trade deal, which means, in fact, they were able 
to block and deny something that the most powerful political and economic interest in the world wanted to happen. And now it's dead. And so we can win. People power can be, is stronger than corporate power. Um, it also depends on how we mobilize. Um, yeah, and I think in terms of mobilizing, I think the way that that's been reflected in how we've been organizing and how we're how the day of action is going to look on Saturday is that we're framing it as a place to cautiously celebrate that the TPP is um, on its deathbed as it stands right now. Um, but we also have to look ahead and we have to look at CETA, we have to look at NAFTA, uh, the fact that Trump and Trudeau are talking about opening renegotiation of the NAFTA trade deal. And we have to use this opportunity to actually come together and, and like celebrate the fact that people power over the last eight years have um, led to the current status of the TPP and also move forward and get ready for mobilizing in the new year. Um, because definitely the TPP is gone, but another version of it will come back. Yeah. And, and, and the corporate trade agenda isn't going anywhere. So I think we need to stay vigilant and we need to really invest in that the kind of deep education that I mm. think that the Canadian, like the public hasn't been introduced to, even on the topic of ISDS. Um, there is like scarce media about it in, in Canadian media. Um, and that work, yeah. I feel like in Europe even, I don't know, maybe you can comment on that. Like in Europe, I think the media has been more, a bit more present, which is why they've been able to mobilize much more on CEDA, for example. Right? Yeah. And we can talk later about like the Wallonia and how they, sure, yeah. um, how they resisted the CEDA deal for a bit. Definitely. Um, yeah, I'd like to talk about CEDA because um, just so listeners know, for context, the government is currently trying to fast track CEDA through the House of Commons, as far as my understanding is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's let's talk about it now. Sure. Um, CETA, uh, the Canada-EU Comprehensive Economic Trade Agreement. Um, another, sort of we call it TPP's toxic sister. <laughs> no, it's, 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 another, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's another iteration. It's another version of the same old story here. You know, we've got a, a, a massive corporate power grab masked as a free trade deal. Um, this is an agreement that um, in many ways goes farther than the TPP, um, especially when it comes to um, extending patent protections and changing our patent laws in order to serve the interests of big pharma um, and for-profit pharmaceutical companies. Um, there are folks in the medical and legal industry calling the changes required to our patent laws in Canada as the most profound changes um, that we've seen in the last sort of quarter century. Um, it, a news story just broke out the other day that um, Ottawa actually refused to even study the impacts that CETA would have on our drug pricing um, because they said you can't predict the market while independent studies are showing that it's going to cost Canada an extra $1.65 billion a year. And you're going to see you know, medicine and pharma drug prices skyrocket um, and it's going to affect the most motor, vulnerable first um, and most, those who, who already struggle to meet um, medicine sort of requirements um, will be crowded out and priced out of access. Um, that says nothing about also um, in, in European countries and with the TPP in the developing countries. Um, you know, you have Médecins Sans Frontières, Doctors Without Borders calling the TPP um, patent protections as... Um, a poss could possibly trigger a global health crisis in those countries. So anyway, that was sort of, again, sort of more context. But yes, um, the 
the liberal government is trying to is breaking their own democratic rules in the house to try and bulldoze CETA into law before the holiday close. Um, I think it's really because, uh, I mean, they're smart. They see what's going on. They see the opposition in Europe, um, the opposition to ISDS and CETA and other trade deals there. The TTIP, TISA, um, has been really inspiring and it's been absolutely massive. Um, and now with the defeat of the TPP, the liberals and our government is, are, are obviously looking at this and understanding um, the resistance growing um, and the, the awareness growing about what these deals are and what they mean and who they serve. And so they're trying to push these things past the point of no return um, and change and bind ourselves to CETA even when the deal could fall apart in Europe. Um, so if it does get signed before the holidays into law by Canadian Parliament. What what happens then? Is it a definite? Yeah, this is the this is the funny thing is because the deal is kind of on the rocks in Europe. Um, so if it falls apart in Europe and it can't ratify, then the deal falls apart. But if we pass these provisions, you know, the implementing legislation, um, whenever you pass a, a, a trade treaty, you pass the agreement and then you have to actually enforce it, change all your laws to, to uh, you know, actually enforce the treaty. So that's what they're trying to do now is like change all of our laws, enforce the treaty. But if it falls apart in Europe, we've changed our legal system or we change all these laws for no reason. I mean, we'll be bound by these laws still. And so at best, if it doesn't get ratified and we're in a position where we've now um, sort of enforced ourselves and changed these these laws in Canada. Um, at best, we can have to go through a whole other legislative process to undo this, um, or at worst, it doesn't change. Either way, it's a giant waste of time and money and resources. Um, instead of trying to um, ignore you know real public concerns over these deals, the government is instead sort of is is, is moving forward when they should be taking the time to really rethink how we approach global trade in a way that benefits everybody and not just sort of the wealthy business elite. And it's exciting what's happening in Europe. And they're totally aware. You know, they know what's going on and they're worried about here. A they want to get this stuff down. Another conversation that I think about a lot as a kind of activist media person is it seems that mobilizing in Europe happens more often in greater numbers maybe it's easier purely you know Canada is larger geographically we're more spread out there's a host of factors but how do you feel about that as campaigners yeah I don't know I think it is a confluence of factors I mean we work with some ally organizations over in Europe who use the model that lead now does and you know they're expert really expert seasoned professional campaigners um, with something like CETA, they really got out the gate when it was being negotiated and were able to take control of the frame of the story in the media before these deals became um, sort of, they constructed before the government or, you know, those in favor were able to construct this pro CETA or pro TTIP um, sort of narrative. So they got out really, really quickly and were able to control the frame on what this deal represents, which is super important um, for campaigning really on any issue. I agree. I think their media, um, although struggle with the same sort of issues um, as sort of what the media does and doesn't report on as maybe over here, but I think their media is a little bit more open and free, but also their yeah trade there 
is a lot, people are a lot more mobilized on trade. I think there's been more sort of deep education over the generations, the sort of segue from 90s and WTO protests and anti-globalization. They really segued those conversations really well into sort of modern, more modern millennium free trade agreements and the anti-globalization sort of fervor over there. Um, but also they just have their old sort of colonially speaking older countries that have a, a much richer history of, of civil war and revolution. Um, and I think that that over time and generations really can affect a cultural psyche, um, which is something, you know, we don't necessarily from a, in another and again, like from a, a white settler um, perspective in Canada, we don't have we don't have that same kind of history of revolt. From my perspective, like I think in the last year or like having been I'm engaged around climate justice activism for the last few years and also looking at um, mobilizations from like indigenous communities or racialized communities um, such as like Black Lives Matter, the 10 city occupation that they did earlier this year uh, or the INAC occupation that happened in Toronto. I think that there are pockets of communities that are trying to mobilize um, but I still think that there's a lack of critical media or like engagement from the public that response when when these mobilizations are taking place um, which I think it, it needs to it's I think it's definitely shifting I think that conversations around energy or the tar sands um, or climate change are um, only going to escalate moving forward I think there are some like definitive there, there, need, there are going to be some decisions that need to come out, for example, like with the Kinder Morgan pipeline or with like Energy's pipeline or even like these trade deals, which are going to, um, which need to cause the public to react. And I think, though, and, and I think that those responses need to be loud enough and, and, and bold enough to like really uh, force our government to like respond to what the public wants. And I think that the government, the present government, um, is is benefiting off of complacency from the public, um, which yeah. which is really frustrating for me to see. I think that a lot of people were expecting the Trudeau government to be radically different from the Harper government, but I think it's um, much more. I don't know. It feels a lot more like um, like they're really good with their public relations. They're and, different enough on the surface on social media. And their and, brand and is strong. Their brand is strong. They throw bones yeah. to the public, like a gender yeah. equal cabinet, and yeah. you know yeah. some some things like that about grand statements back yeah. at sort of the, you know Paris back in twenty sixteen yeah. or sorry being 15. part of the high ambition coalition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. I mean that's exactly why, right? Like it's fifteen is exactly right. I, I think they know what happened with the TPP consultations. There was an unprecedented wave of opposition from the public when the government finally opened up space to hear from the public, just like flooding, you know, the inboxes of the trade committee and our trade and Christian Freeland, our trade minister's inbox. Um, people turning out in, in really droves to, to the in-person consultations um, where, you know, when they started, um, you know, they, they were branded as these like really open public consultations and we signed up, you know, hundreds of our members to go and speak and every single one of them was rejected um, for the first consultation. And when we called them out on that, um, it ended up, um, we ended up being able to open up the consultation somewhat. But anyway, that's all to say that like, yeah, with CETA, they know exactly what's going to happen if they open it up to consultations, if they're with their, you know, um, if they're, you know, really real and addressing concerns and talking to the media, 
um, and being actually like leaders being very um, sort of transparent um, about these deals, they know exactly what's going to happen. The public's going to say they don't want it. And so they're trying to, you know, ram this through now very quietly, um, breaking their own democratic processes and rules in the House. I, I also want to make a point, like, I know we're talking about media in Europe and then media in Canada. I think we also, like, need to think about the drastically different context for media in the global south. And I think that a lot of countries, it's very hard for media to even access or to provide critique of when these trade deals are being pushed through and, and the government's on board uh, because it serves their state and economic interests. Um, that, like, that for them to... Um, to provide to offer commentary can result in violence can result in 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 pushback and I think that that's why it even is much more important that because mm. we have a relative level of freedom and democracy uh, that we need to really leverage that and and I think the TPP is one example where the TPP has, is going to have an impact on countries in Latin America and Asia. And for people in Canada to really step up and to reject the TPP is actually an act of solidarity with mm -hmm. um, racialized communities in the South, with indigenous communities to show that, um, especially when um, like you're actually, we're standing with these countries and we know that it's going to harm them and we're, 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 we're standing on their behalf and we're calling it out. Yeah. Um, so I think that's also really important to, to consider. And one more thing I want to add is like the, the, for me, like one of the strongest resistance against the TPP is coming from indigenous communities. And the fact that the TPP as a trade deal did not consult indigenous communities um, properly and um, they were not like free prior and informed consent was not guaranteed, was not offered at all. And um, again, there has been relatively like, I feel like critical education around the trade deal as well. Um, but even as indigenous communities, like as, um, at, like earlier this month, we had an orientation event where we had a panel with Tori Kress, who is from Idle No More, Ontario. And she spoke about this, um, exact issue, trying to connect how, um, indigenous communities are going to be affected by the trade deal and how their, um, their rights are being undermined if this trade deal is passed through. Because again, corporations will now have more power, um, and more rights essentially than indigenous people, um on Turtle Island. So I think we've um, more than scratched the surface, definitely provided some context, at least for people to learn more about the TPP and CETA. Um, and if they do want to learn more, I was wondering if you could direct people to somewhere online, where it would be good to, to learn more about these issues? So um, your prime resource to get started, I would say, is um, the Lead Now website, which is rejecttpp.ca. Um, and I think that really provides a broad overview of the different groups that are going to be impacted by by the TPP trade deal. And I, and I feel like we've kind of talked about it, but this is an issue that affects a lot of different communities, uh, labor, health, um, indigenous communities. And so um, there are like information for you to get started on, on understanding the issue. And I think like the other part of it is also like you need to invest in doing that deep education yourself as well. I think the media can throw you off really quickly for someone who's just wanting to learn about the TPP. And um, so I would recommend starting at like rejecttpp.ca um, and, then, and then going from there. 
Yeah, and on the website, we really did put the website together to respond to that finding from that opinion poll that showed people don't know what's in the deal, but when they find out, they don't like it. The website is, you know, crowdfunded from our members, small donations, and informed by expert research. So there's been a ton of research um, on the TPP, Council of Canadians, um, the CCPA. Um, there are there are folks and organizations out there trying to get this information um, to the public. Um, the mainstream media has has shut it down, um, but this website was really yeah meant meant to do that. And so while it gives a broad overview of what the deal is, its its major impacts, key impacts in the different communities. Um, and a lot of the um, true leaders in the world who have come out and spoken out against it, from UN experts to Nobel laureate economists. Um, but there is um, on the website a list of sources that we use where you can dig a little deeper into the reports, say on investor protections in the deal, or we can dig into more about how medicine prices are going to be, are going to um, sort of increase as much as, as, as we say. Um, or as projected. And come out to the action on Saturday, 2 p.m. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I also want to kind of like bring up in terms of like mobilizing in Toronto and across Canada, I think that a lot of different groups have been doing a lot of phenomenal work. Like at the beginning of the month, Mining and Justice Solidarity Network did a really great action um, highlighting how ISDS um, is impacting different countries like the Philippines, El Salvador, as well as People's Climate Movement. They hosted a TBP town hall um, and brought in one of the Liberal MPs at the meeting to take notes um, and bring that back to to, um, to Parliament. Um, in addition, like the labor unions, the Canadian Labor Congress, they're doing TPP town halls across Canada um, with like Maude Barlow, who's from Council of Canadians, with Hassan Youssef. Um, what's really exciting about this Saturday is that we're trying to bring in all of these groups together. Um, and um, we're also going to be hosting like canvassing immediately after the rally um, so that people are actually taking action um, and engaging in the writing. So freelance writing is where we're going to be doing canvassing and that's being coordinated by the Toronto York Region Labour Council. So this really is like a collaborative effort and it's really exciting to like see what's going to happen in the new year as well. Yeah, just to sort of pick up, definitely the day we want it. Uh, we want to we want to celebrate the grassroots resistance and movement that that helped defeat TPP or the near death of TPP. There is still that question mark. But um, I don't think the left celebrates enough <laughs> um, about the small wins, um, even though defeating this corporate behemoth is a, is a, is a big win. Um, but yeah, we want, we want to do that. We want to celebrate with caution. We really want to bring in people to have really rich discussions about you know what it means and the road ahead um, on CETA. Trudeau's offered uh, a Trump presidency to renegotiate NAFTA, which is, you know, call it or I call it, sort of committed the original (laughs) sin with ISDS. It's what, you know, NAFTA smuggled in ISDS into its agreement back in 94. And then since then, sort of these ISDS corporate lawsuit challenges have skyrocketed. He's promised to renegotiate that. So there's a lot of exciting stuff, like, on the horizon. Yeah, and just sort of a final thing about building movements across borders, standing in solidarity with indigenous communities within Turtle Island and uh, in, um, in the global south. Um, and also how Trump is awkwardly wound into this like win. I think that it shows more than anything a big lesson to take away from, from this and from Trump is that now more than ever, we need to really do the, do the hard 
um, but important work of, of building um, widespread cross-sector working-class um, anti-racist inclusive movements. Trade is a great is a great sort of leverage point. Leverage point, yeah, bridge to all of these different to climate justice to um, healthcare battles to the fight against privatization and neoliberalism and you know corporate global capitalism to um, digital rights you know if you care about internet freedom you know to women's rights it's really um, it's the impacts are so are so complex and widespread and yeah so this this meeting that we're having this rally this action on Saturday outside of Freeland's office we want to bring people from different movements and communities together and talk about how we can how we can build better movements and mobilize against um, trade and, and corporate power in general over the next mm. year. And yeah, and like a lot, like a, like a closing thought for me is that um, building movements is about connecting the dots. One of the things that you know is happening in the U.S. is um, like Standing Rock's resistance to the North Dakota Access Pipeline. And I think it's like it demonstrates the extent to which corporations are invested in maintaining their interests. Um, it also demonstrates the extent to which institutions um, and the police are invested in protecting corporations rather than the people. Like just this week we saw um, like the, the extent of the violence that they're willing to go to, to commit in order to uh, in order to silence people, right? Um, so we really need to connect these different struggles that are being led by indigenous communities, that are being led by racialized communities, and um, really acknowledge the fact that we need to invest in doing this deep education, but also changing our tactics. And I think perhaps thinking about how to do things that um, sustain our movements for the long term and, and build solidarity between these different struggles. Yeah. I have one last thing to say about that because it's really important. Um, like, um, thank you for bringing that up. I think that what Standing Rock also shows is, you know, it, it would be a great sort of, is a great example of how, how corrupt and unfair and lopsided and fundamentally flawed the ISDS system is is that what's going on in Standing Rock, Canadian mining companies do abroad all the time. And sort of the majority of, of junior and major mining companies are based out of Canada, and they're some of the most violative countries, or company, companies, sorry, in the world, um, committing flagrant human rights abuses, um, hiring sort of third-party third party security to um, commit um, really egregious levels of violence on, on, on land defenders, water protectors, on indigenous communities there. Um, and so it links back with, with ISDS is because our foreign investment in other countries, specifically in the global south, is protected by systems like investor state dispute settlement, where no matter what we do there, we have our companies are given this cover um, where they can bypass domestic courts, where they can bypass any, any mechanism of accountability um, and leverage a system that was built for them, that is run by them, um, and, that, and that benefits them solely. Um, so just like yeah, to bring back, loop back, standing rock back to back to to ISDS and trade and 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 our complicit Canada's complicity complicity in this kind of violence, trade violence, investment violence, um, violence against Indigenous communities, violence against democracy. Thank you so much, both of you, uh, Brittany Smith and Fatine Chowdhury from Lead Now, for being on the Built Environment today. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you for tuning into the Built Environment today. 
My name is Brenna Owen, and you can find us online at soundcloud.com slash built environment, where you can also pull our RSS feed into any podcasting app you may use, including iTunes. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at the built enviro and on Facebook or the built We're trying to grow. As we mentioned, we make this podcast and, and media in our, in our spare time. So we appreciate any feedback uh, you might want to leave on the iTunes podcast, or you could rate us and let us know what you're thinking about our content. You can also follow Fatine on Twitter at FatineIC and myself at Brenna Owen. We'll be tweeting from the Lead Now Day of Action against corporate trade deals tomorrow afternoon, that's Saturday, November 26th, at 2 p.m. If you're in Toronto, come out to Spadina and Bloor outside Minister of International Trade Christia Freeland's office to cautiously celebrate the downfall of the TPP and to show the government we're against CETA and we're for public consultation and democracy. Thanks for tuning in. And if you want to see those details again, you can check out the TPP Public Tea Party on Facebook or rejecttpp.ca.